One question I have for you today. Is fear of an uncertain future stealing your joy? Is fear of an uncertain future stealing your joy? You could open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been with Solomon for months now, and we only have a few weeks left with him. He's been on a search for meaning. He has looked high and low, all over, under the sun, trying to find a lasting source of joy and security and satisfaction. He keeps coming up empty-handed. He's realizing what you will realize the longer you live, that nothing on earth can satisfy your soul for long. And so what then? And one of the biggest themes that keeps coming up is the future is so unpredictable. Because we can't know what's coming, it often steals our joy. It also often drives us to make foolish, sinful choices. What does your future hold right now? Sometimes in life, people are really struggling with their past, things that have happened. There are also people who are primarily struggling, struggling with their present, things that are going on right now. But the future can be a source of tremendous anxiety. And so the question for today is, is fear of an uncertain future stealing your joy? In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the sermon is titled Foolproof Part 3. Because for the last chapter and a half, Solomon has been giving us some wisdom principles that will help us navigate this unpredictable life. There are themes that keep coming up in Ecclesiastes, and one of them is wisdom. Generally speaking, while the rain will fall on the good and bad, and bad things will happen to good people, and good things will happen to bad people, and life seems unpredictable, generally speaking, if you follow a wise course of action, your life will be better. If you follow a foolish course of action, your life will be worse. Here on earth, and definitely in the next life, Wisdom will lead you to glory, and folly will lead you to judgment. So, here's the main idea you can write down from last, uh, before Easter. The main idea is this. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so be wise, not foolish. Be wise, not foolish. Jot that down. It's a choice you have to make based on everything that you've seen in the world, and you will have the uh, suspicion that because life is so hard and unfair and unpredictable, why bother doing it the right way? What's the point? And that would be a mistake. Solomon is heading us off at the pass, and he's saying, nope, be wise, not foolish. But time and chance happen to everybody, and misfortune could come. And even if I do the right thing, a bad thing might happen. Yes, yes, yes. Therefore, I'm going to be foolish. No. Therefore, I'm going to be sinful. No. Your train of thought is correct. Life is unpredictable and hard and unfair. That's why you should be wise, not foolish. Why add additional misery through folly or through sin. That is the governing idea here. In chapter 11, verse 1, here's what he says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. It's a famous saying, right? You've heard that. Cast your bread upon the waters. Often used as like an unpredictable investment or something that seems vaguely like it might succeed. Well, cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. 
If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know, the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Let's pray, and then we will unpack this together. Father, we do not know the future. There's so much we don't know. And I just pray for everyone here today who is facing an uncertain future that's stealing their joy. Oh Lord, meet us in that challenge. Meet us in that crisis. If we are tempted to folly, to try and avoid the bad possibilities, if we're tempted to sin, to try and get rid of the anxiety, oh Lord, call us back. Call us down a wise, godly road that leads back to joy. And we open our ears and our hearts to you so that you can make that happen. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. First thing you can write down is this. Number one, be wise and godly with money and possessions. There's uh, work and money and investments going on in the first few chapters here. Work and um, financial provision is a big part of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, of course, the richest man alive. He has so much gold, his net worth would have been bigger than the richest people in our day. If Solomon just warped into the future with all the gold that he had, he would be the richest man alive today. And he lived 1,000 B.C., all right? So he's filthy rich. He knows a lot about uh, shipping. He knows a lot about exporting and importing. He knows a lot about business. And um, he says here in verse 1, "'Cast your bread upon the waters.'" for you'll find it after many days. And that most likely refers to exporting grain, right? To making money off of shipping resources. Because these are proverbs, they, act, they capture an idea. So it's not just take grain, put it on a boat. It actually is referring to the idea of le- le- getting things, you know, crops, metals, whatever, and letting them go so that eventually a prophet will come back to you. That's the most likely interpretation. Some scholars say that it sounds like it could be tied to generosity. Well, give, right? Give to people. Verse 2 says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. The idea there would be that the Bible says the generous man prospers. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now that is, that's actually a biblical principle that could grow out of these verses. It could be a valid application. Uh, But it doesn't seem in the context that that's what he's talking about. It seems like he's talking about business. He's talking about, uh, you know, making money. And he's, we could apply these principles too. They apply to being generous as well. So that's not a wrong thing to do. But in the context, it seems like he's just talking about the business side of things. Verse three, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or the north, and the place where the tree falls there, it will lie. Well, that kind of sounds like it comes out of nowhere. Why are we talking about clouds? Why are we talking about fallen trees? I thought we were talking about business. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. And then he's talking about the womb. As you do not know, the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. He's nonlinear. Maybe you know some nonlinear people. They go on tangents a lot in their conversations, and then you're like, how did we get down this tangent? Maybe you are a nonlinear person who talks, and you go on a lot of tangents. 
But I do think that there is a, um, a thread, a theme running through all of this. The idea is be wise and godly with money and possessions, and we're going to unpack that. When it comes to the future, a big thing we worry about is provision. How are we going to be provided for? Are we going to be safe? Uh, is our future secure? That can apply to our retirement. That can apply to our income, to our job. Whatever it is, let's face it, when it comes to the future, we worry about money. We worry about the economy. We worry about the stock market because the future is so uncertain. Hey, is a, is a great um, source of your anxiety right now your future financial picture? Is that what's generating stress? Is that what's creating tension and even fights? Is that what it is? I don't know about you, but I fear the future. I've got one daughter at college and another one leaving for college this fall. <sighs> wow. How will that all get paid for? And praise God, he's at work in many ways. But my anxiety level can go up. Cars are so expensive right now. And just before all that happened, my daughter crashed the Camry, so then we need another car. And then my uh, car, the engine started breaking down. Now we need two cars. And so I'm shopping for two cars when used cars have never been more expensive. Then I tried to go on the cheap and buy one, and it turned out to be a lemon. So it backfired on me. And so now I'm just like, ah, and what am I going to do? I'm, I'm fretting over that. Maybe, maybe you are too. When you think about the future, it's so unpredictable. Um, Maybe you're younger and you're, you're about to graduate college and maybe you're like, I got to find a job, I got to find a job. Maybe, maybe you're looking for a job. I read a funny article this week, if you're looking for work, um, there, was a, there was a post that says this, this new job takes remote work to the extreme. It says, uh, sparked by the pandemic and forced work at home policies for many employees, the wave of working at home, working remotely, has grown to encompass virtually anyone unhappy with their job. People are willing to do different things. And here's the next, uh, here's the next section. Antarctica is calling. There is a post office at Britain's Port Lockroy base looking to hire. Located smack dab in the middle of the Antarctic, the charity is now looking for new volunteers to live and work at its site, no experience required. If you're looking for work and you want an adventure and you want to work remotely, consider the post office in Antarctica. <laughs> People are looking for work. Maybe you're looking for a job or you're looking to switch to a new job. That can create uncertainty and the future is unknown. So in verse 1, when it says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. The picture here is of someone who's nervous about the future, and they're not sure if they can continue doing business in a wise manner. They're tempted to be reluctant. And in this case, uh, it represents someone whose fear is holding them back from making a wise choice. So maybe that's the situation you're in. You kind of know you have to make a wise choice, but you're kind of afraid to do it because who knows how it's going to turn out. Now, there are different temptations with the future and with finances, greed, sloth, but here it focuses in on someone who knows they have to make a wise choice, but they're reluctant to do it out of fear of the future. Maybe that's you. If that's you, the Bible's zeroing in on this. And... Um, Here's what we would say, jot this down, only God can provide wealth and possessions. Only God can do it. Here's the grounds 
of your confidence that will help to remove your fears. We're going to remove the fears first, then we're going to replace the joy second. It says in verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Now, why are we talking about this? Throughout the book, Solomon talks about how God makes and controls everything. Because God makes and controls everything, his providence, his sovereignty is the only basis, the only footing you will find to know that things are going to work out okay. Now, some people know God is sovereign and his providence controls everything, and that fills them with fear because they feel like they don't get to make any choices. That's not the reason it's in the Bible. The reason it's in the Bible is to tell you to trust God's sovereignty, to enhance your relationship with him, and to know that he has everything under control. Um, These pictures are really great. Here's a picture of a rain cloud that is coming in, right? Storm cloud that's coming in. Now, if you were to say likelihood that some rain's going to fall, thumbs up if you think rain's going to fall from those clouds, yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, and so Solomon's stating the obvious, but he does it in an if-then manner. If the clouds come full with rain, then it's going to rain. He does the same thing with a tree. So here at the Swallow Cliff, I take my kids for nature walks now and then. Here's another picture of a tree that fell down. And uh, that's two of my kids just climbing on the tree. That tree's been dead a long time. And so I can actually go back for like five or six years And I have pictures of the kids climbing on that same exact tree. Why? Because it ain't going anywhere. If a tree falls, there's where it's going to stay. Here again is an if-then. If the tree falls, then it's going to stay there. Now, these patterns in nature are meant to reveal to us a few things. They're meant to reveal to us that the forces of nature can't be controlled or predicted if the clouds have rain, if the tree falls. We can't predict that. But they're also predictable. If the cloud has rain, it's going to rain. If the tree falls, it's going to stay there. So yes, there are unpredictable things about the future, but generally speaking, things follow a predictable pattern, and they're all under the sovereignty of God. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, here's what it says. It says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. God's command and control over everything in your world, including crops, including grass growing, including uh, everything, you know, putting natural resources in the ground yields you the ability to have financial security. That's why the Bible says This is the gift of God. Now listen, friends, if you don't stand on that reality to start with, whatever you're doing to chase security financially or control your future is not going to work. It's going to wear you out because you cannot secure yourself. Only God can because he's in total control of all of it. You can't control the clouds. You can't control the trees, but God can. In Ecclesiastes 2.26, here's what God says. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. You have a choice to make. You can't love and serve God and money. You can't uh, fear 
your financial situation and live and die for that to the neglect of loving God, it's not going to work. You really have to make a choice. And here's the thing, to the one who pleases God, I'm all in, God. I love you. I trust you. I'm following you. I'm serving you. Uh, you know, I'm all in here. God gives you wisdom and joy. It's from him. To the one who neglects that, I'm on my own. I'm a self-made person. I, God's going to allow you to store things up only to take it away from you in this life and in the next life and give it to the people who prioritized him. We're commanded to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things will be given to you. Hey, are you paralyzed with fear over the future? Are you worried about what's coming down the road? Is that causing you to race on the foundation of God's free? He, co he controls the clouds. He made everything. His forces are governing my life. Are you standing more firmly there because of your fear? Or are you running off of that? And I got to do something. I got to freak. Or I'm not going to do anything because I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not going to. Where are you at? Only God can provide wealth and possessions. And in verse 5, it says, you don't know. You don't know the way. We'll dig into this in a bit. The spirit comes to the bones and the womb of a woman with child. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. You're right. You don't know what's coming. But guess what? God does. Guess what? God does. Only God can provide wealth and possessions. Acts of God are seemingly unpredictable, but every part of God's providential work is reliable. Nature demonstrates unpredictable events, but these are all predictable patterns to God, governed by forces in the universe that operate according to predictable patterns. Only God can provide wealth and possessions. Jot this down. Therefore, actively steward your resources for growth and diversity. We're kind of going to verse 2 and 5 and then coming back to verse 1. Because this is how he's building his argument. So actively steward your resources for growth and diversity. So cast your bread upon the waters. So there you are. You're, you're about to, you know, do what you know you need to do. Send the bread off the, to the sea, you know, so that you can get a profit and make a living. And you're nervous. I don't know. I mean, what can happen? A storm can come down. I'm not going to do anything. If you're frozen and you're not making a wise choice... This could be today somebody who's got a really good job opportunity and you're like, but I don't know. They could be crazy there. And you, you know you got to make a choice, but you're reluctant to do it. You got to get a vehicle, got to get a car. And you're like, but it could be a lemon. I fell into that trap. You, you know, you got to make a wise choice, but you're really paralyzed with fear and the future is freezing you up. Casting your bread, most likely trade, represents an investment with some risk. The NIV, if you look at the NIV, it kind of interprets it for you. It says, it uses the word, send your ship out with the grain. It's important to know that sometimes in the original language, it's not that clear, and a translation will clear it up a little more for you. It's not necessarily wrong, but it, it just says, basically, throw bread on the water. That's what it says in the original. So for the NIV to say, send your ship to sea, is interpretive. Um, but we know the principle here. The principle here is there's going to be some risk in making a wise choice. You're not going to be able to predict the future. If you will only act when you have full certainty that it will turn out okay, you're trying to be God. You can't do that. You will find no joy down that path. There has to be faith. I've heard it said before that if your Excel spreadsheet for your finances always looks great on paper, then you have a faith problem, right? If it never looks good on paper, then you have a wisdom problem. 
And I don't know where you're at. If you're more of a risk taker or a risk avoider, does it always look good on paper? Does it never look good on paper? Somewhere in between is where we're going to be wise and godly. Only God can provide with wealth and possessions, and we should actively steward our resources for growth and diversity. It says, give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen. This is, again, most likely different avenues or routes for commodities. It could represent different businesses. Uh, it could represent different routes that they're taking. Um, so it could represent someone who puts all of their eggs in one basket. Maybe they're so nervous, they're like, okay, I'll send one ship out. Well, that's not the right way to do it, you know, but I don't know what's going to happen. Fear, fear, fear. Easter was last week, right? And so at my parents' house, I was in charge of hiding the eggs. And so the little plastic eggs, and so um, I was a little tired. So I walked outside with the basket of eggs, and there was a giant Frisbee on the lawn, and I picked up the giant Frisbee and dumped all the eggs under it and covered them up. I literally put all my eggs under one Frisbee and came back in the house. And my mom said, you were only out there for five seconds. I said, yeah, but I hit all the eggs. She said, get back out there. I said, I hit them in a really great spot. She's like, no, you did so. So then I, my work got checked, and we went outside, and they found out that I dumped all the eggs under the giant Frisbee. So we had to really hide them. Here's the funny thing, though. When everybody came out looking for the eggs, nobody looked under the Frisbee. They would have never found them. Now, in that situation, hiding all the eggs under one Frisbee was a good idea because they would have never gotten found, right? Usually putting all of your eggs in one basket is a bad idea. So this idea of just one, and I'll send out one, well, I'll just do that. Well, that's not wise. And so he says, you know, give a portion to seven or even eight. You don't know what in other words, because of the risk, you're going to diversify and send more out. It seems counterintuitive, right? I don't know how that applies to you, but if you are losing your joy over a fear of an uncertain future and you're tempted to not do wise things because of that, God might be telling you, no, I know it might feel counterintuitive, but you actually have to act, even though there's risk, doing what's wise because I'm going to be the one to govern all of that. Maybe you're freezing up or you're afraid and there's a thousand ways to apply this, but the principle is clear. Um, there was a cargo ship uh, a month or two ago that was carrying thousands of luxury cars in the Atlantic Ocean. Check it out. Here's a picture. And I told you about this several weeks ago. It caught fire. And it, it actually went down. It sank. So here's another picture. This thing was on fire. They were trying to put the fire out. Didn't go so well. And here's another picture. Um, and here's the thing. There were uh, 4,000 luxury vehicles on this vessel. Over $400 million of luxury cars, including 1,000 Porsches, all on this boat, and it's now at the bottom of the sea. All of those cars are gone. Ouch! That's a picture of what it's like to lose so much, because they put everything on one ship. Actively steward your resources for growth and diversity. Be wise, not foolish. Jot this down. Work hard even though you can't control the outcome. Work hard even though you can't control the outcome. I didn't mention this at the beginning. I was going to tell you this, but it's, it's only a two-point sermon. So that's why I'm camping a little more on the first point, because there's only two points. Work hard even though you can't control the outcome. So it says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Tree falls to the south or north. The place where a tree falls there will lie. And then it says, he who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. So now you have a person who's looking at the wind and they're like, yeah, it's not time to put the seed down yet. No, not yet. And they're trying to predict the weather. And it, what is it doing? It's causing them to not do what they're supposed to do. I don't think this is a picture of sloth. Like they don't want to work. This is a picture of fear. 
they're afraid that it's not the perfect time yet. Well, no, it's, it's still windy. No, I, I'm, I see a cloud coming. I'm just not going to. I'm not. And so there's a reluctance. There's a hesitation. There's a, I'm not going to act because of the possible bad scenario. Guess what? They're not going to eat. That's the idea here. If you don't put the seed in the ground, you're not going to eat. And then it says here, he who regards the clouds will not reap. Oh, the corn is ready. It's, oh, there's a cloud out there. I can't go get it now. Okay, maybe today? Nope, not today. There's another cloud out there. The food is waiting for you. Yeah, but the weather doesn't look good. I can't. Do you see how if you're really locked up in fear and it's so paralyzing that you're not going to go out and get the corn, you're going to starve to death. Okay, that's the principle here. So the idea is work hard even though you can't control the outcome. And there are these pictures here of we can't understand. It says in verse 5, you don't know. That's true. You don't know. But that shouldn't paralyze you into a foolish posture, especially when it comes to a future decision. You don't know, but God does. It says in verse 5, you don't know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. This could be interpreted as two things. You don't know the way of the wind or how the bones come together uh, with a child, or it could be, as the ESV says, the same thing. I love this picture, because back then, they didn't have ultrasound. They didn't know how a baby was formed. Here's the funny part. We do know today, and it's still mind-boggling. I've shared this before, but do you know that in 1990, the U.S. government launched a human genome project? They took one cell, one cell, one human cell out of the body. The project was to pull all the DNA out of one cell. Sounds like an easy thing to do given our modern technology, right? It costs the government $2.7 billion to do. Your, your money. A thousand researchers from 20 institutes and six nations had to work on the project. One cell. They found a six-foot-long strand of DNA with three billion letters that took 13 years to map one cell, not even one child, one cell. The information was enough to fill 5,000 books. And there's a copy of that DNA in every cell in your body, and there's trillions of cells. Do you see God's marvelous work from the very first cell of human life? It's beyond comprehension. You don't know God's work. That should blow you away, and here's the thing. It should give you confidence in him. I don't know, but based on what I do know, he's incredible. He's immense. He controls it all. All of the unpredictable forces in your life should add up to a greater God, not a smaller God. So if you're feeling overly cautious or you're kind of indulging excuses to not be wise or generous, uncertainty shouldn't lead you to folly or fear. Well, what if? Well, what if? Well, what if? Hey, they're, they're his works, and this is his world. This, this is his world. Remember that old hymn? This is our Father's world. We rest in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders wrought. Here's the truth. Good spot check for your, is fear choking out your wisdom or your generosity? You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. See, now we got to get fear out. Now we're going to welcome joy in. Does that sound like a good plan today? Number one, be wise and godly with money and possessions. Number two, jot this down. Live with abundant joy as eternity draws near. Live with abundant joy 
as eternity draws near. So he says in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Same idea. Put the seed down in the morning and then do your side job in the evening. You don't know which one's going to work. So do it. Do both, right? And then I love verse 7. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He's tying it all together now. He begins by saying this in verse 7. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Throughout the book, Solomon dismisses empty joys that come from sin and pride and possessions and ambitions. Nope, 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 nope. And under the sun, he laments how hard the world is. The un- he uses the phrase, under the sun, to define the unsatisfying nature of life that we will all feel and fight. Time plus chance plus sin equals life under the sun that doesn't satisfy. The beautiful thing here is the sun now becomes a source of joy It is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I love that. I love that he now looks up as he's been on all these journeys and he just sees the sun and he's like, this is good. I think he's saying life is is good. See, and, and for the Christian, when you add up all the different things in life and the emotions, joy is a culmination of all of them, not an exclusion of some of them. Like, just get rid of that and get rid of that and get rid of that, then I'll be joyful. No, you add it all up. You add it all up. And joy is a culmination of all of that. I love how simple it is. There's the sun. You know, the Beatles wrote a song about this. I'm going to play it for you. Check it out. yesterday as you were outside mowing the lawn or planting your garden the sun was out you're like yes the sun is here it's been a long cold winter there's just joy there's joy in life that lasts abundant joy and Solomon paints a picture here of finding joy in the sun finding joy for many years rejoice in them all wow He knows life is good. He knows joy is there. Remember, though, true, lasting joy only comes from God. 519, we'll put it up there again. Remember, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Whatever happens, you keep coming back to him. You keep coming back. There's a well. There's a well there, and you keep drawing from God, from his presence, from his promises, and guess what? Your joy will never run out. Your joy will never run out. What a picture. Live with abundant joy as eternity draws near. How? Well, jot this down. Only God can give us joy and contentment. Only God can give many years, many problems, many trials. God's got it. God's got it. 
Joy should be a defining trait of God's people. It says, of course, in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Joy should never leave your side. It says here, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Verse 9, Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. There's an affirmation here that God made the world to be enjoyed. He's talking to young people here. So let me talk to you. Maybe you're in junior high, high school, college, and you're tempted to think that God is going to steal all of your joy. Oh, oh, I'm about to really build my life, and, and I know that if I follow this book, God's going to take all of my joy away. That big old straitjacket up in the sky. He's going to make me miserable. How wrong you would be. Only God can truly give you joy and contentment. So yesterday, Lauren and I chaperoned a dance at our kids' high school, Jared and Cassie. For some reason, they were not happy that we were chaperones. <laughs> we stole their joy just by signing up. Their joy further was diminished because it's a, it was a disco theme. So we found some of the dance scenes from uh, Saturday Night Fever, and Lauren and I started practicing a few of those moves while the kids were coming into the room, and they were mortified. <laughs> you're going to be there, and you're going to dance? Their joy was completely gone. We were really happy because we got assigned to the coat room, and it was 80 degrees out, so we're like, we're not going to really have anything to do. So we showed up, and then we were told it's not just the coat check, it's the shoe check. And we're like, shoe check? They're like, yeah, it's an outside dance. We've got the gymnastic mats set up out there, and no shoes can be on them, so all the kids have to check their shoes. There were 350 kids. So guess what? That stole our joy. All of our plans to ruin our kids' night, we were just moving shoes all around all night long, and so it's like, whatever. Hey, only God can give us joy and contentment. And maybe like a child, you're like, well, if God shows up, there goes the joy, right? God shows up, there goes the joy. To you, God enjoy our opposites. To you, the Bible enjoy our opposites. How have you been doing with joy? Maybe one of the reasons why your joy keeps vanishing is because you've made the mistake of thinking that God is against your joy. Maybe it's because you walked away from biblical principles and promises that your joy comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes because you're going to an empty well of sin and worldliness and, and self-reliant. You're going to that well again, and every time you drop the bucket, there's less and there's less and there's less and there's less. Hey, that well is going to go empty forever. And in the next world, there will be not a drop of joy for those who have walked away from God. But the well, if you keep going to it, God, I'm going to go, go to him again. I'm going to go to him again. I'm going to go to him again. There's an ocean in there. It'll never run out. And listen, it'll never run out in the next life. Joy is the Christian thing. It's coming, and it will never go away. This is a huge realization, if you can really grasp it. When we go to find joy in God's presence, we're drawing from a perfect source of it that will never be exhausted. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're drawing from a perfect source of it, and your joy will last forever. If you keep going to the world and walking away from God, it's going, it's going, it's going, and it will soon be gone. Listen to me carefully. Gone forever. Do you want to show up in the next life and never have a drop of joy again? That's the wager you're making. 
If you think God's the big old straight jacket in the sky and you got to get away from him to have a good life, only God can give you joy and contentment. Only God. He gives it in creation. There's the sun. Boy, doesn't it clear out the heart to just get outside? Doesn't it just clear out the soul to just go for a walk? Creation testifies that God is good. Those overwhelming forces like the waves coming in, the wind blowing, the trees swaying, it's, oh, God is good. Man, it's so good to get outside. Creation gives us joy and contentment. Creation does that. There are things that steal our joy, which is why it says in verse 10, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body. Now that can mean several things. It can mean that you've got stress in your heart, anxiety, worry, worry, worry. Get it out. Based on what you know about God and his knowledge and his providence, get that out of your heart. Remove pain from your body. That word can actually be evil, right? In the the background here, it could be talking about evil things, right, that we need to get rid of. So sin in your life, sin in your heart, or, or you're just dwelling on the negative things of life. Hey, get that out of there. So like if we dwell with a critical spirit on problems or conflicts, our joy is going to go away. Get vexation out of your heart. A critical spirit can steal our joy. Always complaining. Always complaining. A contentious spirit can steal our joy. Always arguing. Always arguing. Comparing can steal our joy. Always looking. Always looking. And maybe God's convicting you of a contentious spirit or a comparing spirit or complaining spirit. Those things will steal your joy. Hey, get vexation out of your heart. What's stealing your joy? What's stealing your joy? Only God can give joy and contentment, but you got to get that garbage out. Do you know in Ecclesiastes 6, 3 to 6, Solomon says an unbelievable thing. A joyless, godless life is not even worth living. Here's how he puts it. If a man lives a thousand years twice over, did you do the math? If a man lives a thousand years twice over, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, I say a stillborn child is better off than he. If you live 2,000 years and you don't enjoy God's life's good things, you shouldn't have even been born. It's a waste of a life. Wow. Only God can give us joy and contentment, and that's what we're here for. Live with abundant joy as eternity draws near. Only God can give us joy and contentment. Jot this down. Only God can give joy in every season. Only God can give joy in every season. Rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. The days of darkness will be many. Hey, listen, even if you do the right thing, even if you stand on God's promises, even if you keep going to that well, darkness is coming. Okay, life's going to be hard. It's going to be unfair. A lot. A lot. And the older you get, the harder it's going to be. It's coming. The days of darkness will be many. It pleases the eyes to see the sun, but the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. What does that mean? Well, it means that what's coming is a breath. Life is swift, brief, and often hard. What's coming is going to be swift, brief, and often hard. Life is vanity. So yes, enjoy the sun, enjoy the good days, but get ready because darkness is coming. Here's a picture of the seasons of faith we talk through. You know, the sun is out in summer and life is good and God is good and everything's right. And then fall comes and things start dying. And then winter's here and everything goes wrong. You're frozen in place and then spring comes and God starts doing some new stuff. I don't know where you're at right now. It's good to know where you're at. Summer, fall, winter, spring. Days of darkness will be many. 
Only God can give you joy in every season. Oh, maybe that thing was working until the bottom fell out in your life. Or maybe that person was pretty sweet until you couldn't figure something out. Empty well, empty well. Only God can give you joy in every season. And maybe if you're going through a hard time right now, God wants you to know that you you can't make it through this valley without him. Maybe God wants you to know you're not going to find joy anywhere else but his presence right now. Maybe when you look to your future, you're like, I just can't see it working out to a way where I'm happy. That's where God has to come in. I need him. I need to cry out to him. There's a woman who came to our church a couple weeks ago. She expressed something in a way that I think a lot of people are feeling. She showed up after a couple of years of COVID and we were getting to know her and, you know, well, what brought you here? You know, and at one point in the conversation, she said this, I need to find God again. I need to find God again. And I think that's how a lot of people are feeling. And what she means is her joy is gone. And she's trying to look for it again. And she thinks God has it. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you need to find God again. Jot this down, and here's the truth. Only God can give us joy forever in Christ. It says here in verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Well, right there, all of our joy should go away. Walk in the ways of your heart. You know, do, do things that are fun. Your eyes, find some things that are good, and judgment's coming. What? That's where we should all be like, we're doomed. Solomon can't quite figure it all out, but he's putting all the pieces together and he knows judgment is coming and he knows that it will go well for the godly. Now what he knew imperfectly, we knew perfectly. We know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Do you know that if you have asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, your joy will never end? In him alone, you will find abundant joy. Do you want to know why? Because all of your sins will be washed away. You will become born again, a new creation. You will have a relationship with God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ. Solomon knew that the way of wisdom, the way of faith, fearing God could lead to the next world, but he didn't know exactly how that all worked out. We now know. So let me close by asking you this question. It's the biggest question of your life. Have you by faith asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? And have you turned away from sin and worldliness and depravity and come to the well of of everlasting life, the spring that will flow forever. Have you trusted God to fill your life with joy through his son, the living water, Jesus Christ? If you've never done that, whether you're with us online or you're with us in person, I want to give you the chance today, right now, right here, to say, my well is running dry. I've been lacking joy because I've been afraid of the future forever, and now I want to find everlasting joy in Jesus Christ. I want to give you that chance right now. So let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Only Jesus can deliver us from the judgment to come, and only Jesus can give us lasting joy in this life and in the next life that's permanent. Jesus, we're so grateful that you promised that a well of everlasting water, living water, can be found only in you. So I know that there are some right here who their joy keeps going away, disappearing, vanishing. And it's because they haven't had you in their life. They haven't known you. And in the next life, judgment is coming and that scares them. Lord, I pray that right now there would be some in their own heart who are saying, Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. Jesus, fill my heart with living water. Jesus, give me everlasting life and make my joy complete because of you.
Lord, give me a future and a hope. Save me. Sanctify me so that my joy will never end. Lord, I pray for those who are calling out to you. Help them to know that no matter what they go through in this world, you'll never leave them. You'll never forsake them. And even their darkest days, the stormiest skies can actually produce a crop of joy, can produce fruit, a harvest of gladness because you're with them. I pray that you would help them, O Lord, and help us who have walked with you for many years to not be afraid of the future, to not be paralyzed with fear. Lord, drive fear straight out of our hearts. We can't control the future, but you can. And help us to look ahead knowing that you command and control all of our anxieties. Because of that, we can have joy. Joy while we wait. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.